Sit back, relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Deadly. Only a movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women, which prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast that celebrates the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me today is... The wolf shirt wearing its girl I know. It's Ariel. <laughs> Hello. Hey, girl. How are you? I'm doing okay. I think you meant hello. <laughs> oh, do you hear those dulcet tones? That's right. We have a very, very special guest joining us today. Truly one of the most delightful people that I have ever met. I feel very, very oh. lucky to call him a friend. Um, hopefully he calls me one too. <laughs> And that is the always lovely Casey, who you may know from the excellent podcast, Bloody Good Whore, or Cinema Fromage, or some really awesome artwork. Casey, welcome to the show. Hello, Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Yay. I do love your art. I have the Bloody Good Whore shirt with that. I well, I'm a patron, so I got some shirts, but the only one I've bought yeah. is the one that you designed with your art on it. This is Bloody Good Horn. I wear it oh, all the so time. Cool. <laughs> oh well, thank you. You're welcome. So, how did we twist your arm into coming on the show? <laughs> um, we've spent a lot of times, all three of us, uh, podcasting over the years together, and I just have fun with hanging out with you two and talking movies. So the opportunity to come over here and hang out on the more deadly podcast and hang out in your world. I was pretty excited. Oh, we're so happy to have you. (laughs) (laughs) So Ariel, you know, we like to get a little update, anything crazy happening in your, your neck of the woods. (laughs) Uh, No, actually nothing really. I mean, like my upstairs neighbors still fight a lot, but Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that I think should be a rule for, like, every apartment complex. You either fight quietly or the content has to be interesting. Mm, But you can't be loud and boring. (laughs) (laughs) What are they fighting about now? Just, like, dumb stuff. Like, yesterday it was about taking out the trash. Like, the the Mm, trash. So boring. (laughs) I don't know if I like this new apartment. Yeah. Sorry, Casey. I was going to say, as a dad, I get pretty heated over picking up the So you feel represented. Feels brand. Yeah. <laughs> I could get behind that argument. So, Casey, I don't know if you know this, but Ariel lives in an accursed apartment building with the weirdest shit happens there. Like, everybody's naked all the yeah. time. There is a weird sex cult in the neighborhood, and they all drive PT cruisers. And. Oh. <laughs> At least they're using the spot, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. And the problem is, is now you're going to start seeing PT cruisers because it's like the algorithm in the <laughs> whatever this 
whatever we're living in, whatever simulation yeah. we're living in, now knows that you know Ariel and you're going to start seeing PT cruisers and getting very explicit spam texts. Yeah, it keeps <laughs> happening to people, so I apologize if it happens to you too. Oh, true. I'm excited. <laughs> oh, yeah. So my dad one time wanted to see my phone. Never, ever, ever asked to see my phone. And he was looking at a picture on my phone and he flipped it and I had screenshot one of the texts that I had gotten from air, like, and sent it like as a joke into the, our discord to everyone. I'm like, once again, aerial strikes, here it is. Ha ha ha. Didn't delete it. So my dad's like, do, do. and I'm, I don't have any nudes in there. I'm not sweating my dad flipping through there. And he flips to one and he's like, Oh, Oh, full on naked lady, big old bush. I'm like, no dad. No, I swear. I tried to explain it. He was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. makes even less sense when you explain it. Yes. I was like, so I have this friend Ariel, you see. She's Mercury in retrograde, the human. And <laughs> I don't think he bought it. <laughs> but that's funny. So, as I said, um, we have you on here for a very special episode. We are going to be reviewing a little movie that uh, is near and dear to our hearts because it actually involves mine and Ariel's friendship origin story. Yeah, and that is, and this is pure chance, folks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be talking about Blood Diner from 1987, directed by Jackie Kong. Now, Casey, as our guest, you got to select the movie. You had no idea that this actually has like pretty significant origin story. So, how I had you- zero ideas. Uh, I mean, literally, I texted Rachel and said, "How about this one?" And she texted back, "Oh my." God. <laughs> So what made you decide you wanted to cover this one? I was going through your list. Uh, you sent me the list of all the other movies that you uh, captured. And I wanted to pick out a movie, the female director, that I hadn't seen for a while. And it's funny because I ended up landing on Blood Diner because I remember the cover. And I was pretty sure I read the plot that I'd seen it. Turns out this is not the movie I thought it was. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> oh that's so what? funny. Oh, my gosh. No, but... It's interesting. It's more of a case, though. I had it convinced. I can't think of the name of the movie. There was another movie that was French. I want to say made by a French filmmaker that involved a diner, but it was way more like surreal and abstract. Oh, Oh, okay. And I can't find the name of it. And it may be something my brain has just created. (laughs) I had thought that the rest of the movie is like this. I read the plot and I remember the plot about the brothers serving up food. I remember that section of the movie, but yeah, I sat down for like the first 45 minutes of this movie going, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I thought it was. But it turns out I was still a fan. I think this is one that, uh, now I started thinking about it. Then once I started recognizing the scenes and stuff. I'm near positive. This came out in 87, and I think this is a movie that I stumbled across on cable way back in the day when I should have been watching cable. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> when I was that young. Oh. I think I saw this. Very, I was probably like 12 in 87, and this was probably on HBO by HBO and Cinemax and all those by like 88. So. Oh. I, There's a lot of naked ladies for a 13-year-old. This is yeah. the perfect uh, movie for a 13-year-old yeah. to find. It's just bouncing exactly. boobs, bl- murder, and a lot of teeny tiny little Hitler mustaches. But yeah. <laughs> back to the boobs. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, which may be why I don't remember the plot of the movie, to be honest. Right. If that's the last time I saw it. Right. That's fair. Yeah, I, so I remember it was funky and it was different. I did remember exactly 
why it was fun, and it, the why it stuck in my head. So after getting through this, it was ended up being like a fun little revisit. And it's like, oh wow, I wish I would watch this again sooner. <laughs> was there a part of you that was like, oh no, what have I made these girls watch? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but, but I don't. You'd already told me that this is where you and Ariel watched. Yes. So I'm like, so they said yes. They're on their own, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely, we consented. We consented. So, should we tell you our little origin story of how we became friends and how it involves Blood Diner? Okay. Do you want to tell it, Ariel, or do you want me to tell it? No, go for it. I'll chime in. Okay, yes. I'll need you to chime in because I will have forgotten many details because my brain is a sieve. So (laughs) Ariel and I first met on our college newspaper. That's like where we met. And I remember seeing her in class and wanting desperately to be her friend and her wanting nothing to do with me. (laughs) It was like the full Heisman Trophy. I like was trying to seduce her into being my friend for like months and she was not having it. And then we went away. We had to go to this, like, what was it? A journalism convention? Yeah, in LA. In LA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and stayed so at you... this, like, big hotel all together for, like, four days straight or something. Yeah. Yes. And so you were captive because you yes. could not get away from me. <laughs> and so I was like, this is my moment to strike. So, like, I had, like, full intentions on making her be my friend by the end of the weekend. And I pulled on the full charm offensive. During the day, you're doing journalism stuff, but we had free nights. And so I, being me, had to, like, I wanted to do something fun and team building and, like, get out because we were in L.A. Um, but we were with a bunch of college students who were all, all eight, like, pretty, there were some, like, 18-year-olds, right? Yeah, there were. So we couldn't go any place that was, like, 21 and older. Yeah. Right. Uh. So I scoured the the Yelps and I found this weird little bar in West Hollywood called CIA, which stood for the Center for Abnormal Arts. And we like all piled into this is before Uber. So we like all piled into a, a cab and a 40, like $45 cab ride later. We're in West Hollywood and we pile out and it is this, it's like a neighborhood and there's a fence and then this giant head with an ear that you had to walk up to and talk into to get in. <laughs> but as really we're cool. pulling up, the band is leaving. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> we got here too late. But the they, they let us in anyway. And they're like, yeah, just come in and look around. Because the place is like, it's like a strange museum full of um like circus freak stuff and like like you know oh, wow. two-headed mermaids and babies and jars and there was like a stage with sharks coming out of the walls it was a really strange place but we ended up even though it was closing and they let us in we ended up staying there for i don't know how long would you say like three or four hours oh at least yeah we were there for a long time because the owner came up and he was like, oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. Do you want to see the mummified clown? And I said, yes, <laughs> I do. So you can look this up. There is this French clown who his final wish was to be mummified and displayed forever in a, in a like, it, what was he wearing? He was wearing like, um, he had like a specific uniform on. Do you remember what it was? No. Was it like one of those French clown getups or something? It it wasn't it wasn't a French clown getup. He had the French clown makeup, but he had oh, something that's he had right. some other weird uniform on. I guess it doesn't matter. We can I'll send you a link and you can read all about it. But he was like, "Come look at this French clown." So we all gather around. There's a bunch of like 18 year olds who do not know what to do with themselves. But Ariel and I were like, it was 
It was finally the meet cute vibe and waiting. Eye contact across <laughs> yeah. the mummy of a clown. Everybody and else I thought it was weird. Was and we were just like entranced. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up hanging out and talking to the owner for hours. Now, here's how it connects to Blood Diner. The owner of this bar that we ended up hanging out with all night, his name was Carl Crew. And he is the uh, actor who plays George Tutman in this movie. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yes. guy. <laughs> so we ended up hanging out with him and he told us all about like he played Jeffrey Dahmer in a movie and he talked about yeah. meeting the whole family and then he told us about like the, all these haunted like all these local hauntings that he experienced and all of these conspiracy theories that he was into and like <laughs> these like little kids were like getting bored and they wanted to go eat Denny's and we were like fuck your moons over my hammy. This guy's telling us crazy <laughs> stories. We're not going yeah, anywhere. going and like each story was more insane than the last one. It was so good. This is journalism. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Doing? Don't leave when yes. somebody's talking. <laughs> yes. So after this experience, like we, we sent the kids on their way. They went to Denny's. We met up with them. We had our, you know, super bird or whatever. And Ariel and I just like were, like that was it that was the bonding moment so then yeah. i threw a little party at my house after the fact because i was like we need to watch this movie this guy because he was like i was in blood diner you got to see blood diner have you seen blood diner so i'm expecting like some amazing movie the way he's talking about it i invite all these people to my house for a showing and we throw it on and it is just boobs and hitler mustaches as far as i can see <laughs> and you know 15 years later, Ariel's still my friend. Yeah, we're still close. <laughs> That's great. Rachel, I don't know if you remember this one thing. When we went on to the Rick or Treat podcast and we told some of this story, I left this part out because I hadn't remembered at the time. But, okay, little backstory. Uh-oh. When we went to the journalism convention, I had recently moved back home and so had my little brother. He had broken his laptop and he had kept borrowing mine this whole time, Uh-oh. right? Uh-oh. And as a prank, Uh-oh. he used to change the background on my desktop to like weird pictures of like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld yeah. in a bee costume, just like random stuff that he thought was funny. Okay. So when we needed to look for a club where 18 year olds could go, I was the only one who had brought their laptop. So we all piled right. onto my bed, opened up my laptop. Everybody's standing there, sitting there, whatever. And I opened my laptop to find what? a fully I... nude, roided out Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> posing in one of those muscle man poses. And when I say fully nude, I mean like flung out and everything. <laughs> How do I not remember I don't this? know. It was terrible because I just like froze like uh i swear guys i didn't do this <laughs> wow we were contributing to the delinquency from minors from the jump i, I know. how do i not remember th- i don't that know honestly like, if it had been a job we both would have been written up by hr or fired right? <laughs> at the end of that trip. i mean that whole trip was wild yeah <laughs> like we, they were very very strict about drugs and alcohol so everyone was sober but we lost our minds like there was something about being in a hotel <laughs> with a bunch of like we were just like they we they let the animals out of the cage we were insane <laughs> that's awesome it was so yeah that was super fun but yeah here we are Blood Diner blonded. I've been on a couple marching band trips in uh, college, so I know how it goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it gets crazy. Like, and yeah. it, I think it would have been less crazy if they had let us drink. Like, we were so, Probably. Probably. We were, like, so stupid and just, like, wanting to have fun and staying up, like, 
having sugar all night long in the in the lobby those poor hotel employees they i know i feel really bad for us. them like i remember yeah. one of our friends uh he and i wanted to get seven ups but they didn't have any like in the vending machine so we went up to the bar to get them but then we were afraid that we were going to get in trouble and then we wouldn't we'd get like our awards taken away from us so yeah. we made the bartender write us notes and like sign <laughs> <laughs> This and we were, like, in our 20s. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, like, 23 or 24 at the time or something. Oh, yeah. I could just picture Ariel in my mind in her wolf shirt asking the yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So, yeah, that is our origin story. So I'm excited to that's talk about That's a great story. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, right? Like, of all people, yeah. Carl Crew would be there. And the dead yeah. clown, I gotta, I'll send you, after the show, I'm gonna send you a link, because, like, it's a I'm thing. I'm curious now. <laughs> it is a thing. Awesome. All right, so, Ariel, we're gonna get into our review, um, but before we do that, can you please let any new listeners that maybe followed Casey over here, what our spoiler policy is on More Deadly? Yeah, so eventually we're gonna spoil the whole movie. But before that, uh, Rachel is going to tell you a little bit about the director. I'm going to tell you some things about the production of the movie. And then we're going to give you kind of non-spoiler thoughts. And then Rachel will drop that spoiler warning again. And at that point, everything's up for grabs. And I hate to say this, but this movie is actually a little bit hard to track down. So it's definitely worth checking out. But good luck finding it. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it comes and goes on Tubi. (laughs) It does. Yeah. Uh Right now, it's on. I found it on Roku channel. Nice. Okay. Oh, cool. perfect. Yeah. Roku channel. I gotta get Roku channel. I feel like there's all kinds of good stuff on there. Well, it's pretty much Tubi. It's the. <laughs> I think they get what Tubi doesn't have. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. What it feels like. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Jackie Kong, our filmmaker. She is an American screenwriter, producer, and of course, director. She was born in Hanford, California which uh, is deep, deep Central Valley. Whatever you imagine um, California is like, it's the opposite of that. That is that <laughs> Central is what Valley is its Valley own is. thing, for sure. It sure <laughs> is. It sure is. Make sure you got plenty of gas. You do not want... No, I'm going to stop because there are people in Central Valley probably listening. <laughs> Although they know. They all have, you know... Like, it, it's so poisonous. There's like... Uh, there's something called like Central Valley Lung. <laughs> like it is bleak. Maybe yeah, like the Delta. Well. If you go yes. swimming in it, you're gonna come out with a weird rash, 100 yeah. we'll of like, the time. <laughs> you didn't need that flesh that got eaten off. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. So, like I said, she was born in the Central Valley, but she actually grew up outside of LA. When she was 16, her family moved to Hollywood um, because her mother was Anita Liu was pursuing a career as an actress. She was a very beautiful woman who did a handful of films um, in like the 60s and 70s. But Jackie herself knew that she wanted to do make films from a very young age. Uh, When she was going to Beverly Hills High, she began making short films. As for where she got her first camera, because you gotta remember, this is like pre-cell phone camera era. This is when you, to get a camera was a thing. Uh, It was actually a gift on her 18th birthday from her mother's friend, Marlon Brando. Wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) That's so crazy. Yep. So despite giving her the camera, he actually like counseled her against going into filmmaking. <laughs> he was like, don't do it. It's a pain. In- you don't want to do this. This is not a road you want to go to. But she was determined to make films. So after that, she graduated high school and went to the California state of Northridge. Um, and then she 
despite his protestations, went on to become a filmmaker. Throughout the 80s, she made a handful of low-budget films, making her first feature film at the age of 23. You were at a bar getting a note for Sprite. She was making a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And uh it was the film The Being, which is about a a killer toxic mutant monster, and it starred Martin Landau. Hmm. Wow. Wait, what is it called? It's called um, The Being. Hmm. I don't. Think... I was looking at that last night, and I did realize it had Barton Landau. Yeah, in it. that's yeah. cool. Yeah, you can't. I don't think you can get it digitally anywhere. I think it's maybe available somewhere on like physical media. But I would love to get yeah. my hands on it. I'm very yeah. like I've seen pictures, and it looks wild. So I would definitely love to see it. After that, she went on to make a film called Night Patrol about a cop who wants to be a stand-up comic, and starred Linda Blair, uh, the iconic uh, Exorcist uh, so star. Cool. Nice. Yes. She followed that up with the movie we'll be talking about tonight, Blood Diner, which she basically made as a tribute. I think it was originally supposed to be a sequel. Then it became an homage to uh, the notorious Herschel Gordon Lewis horror film, Blood Feast. So I wonder if Blood Feast was the movie you were thinking of, because this is kind of a weird remake of that movie. No, because I've seen Blood Feast a a number of times, so I'll have to... I, I, it's going to drive me nuts that I can't think we of the movie find that out I was what picturing. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you've seen it. We may have even covered it on BGH at one point as a staff pick. So I got to go through our back catalog and take a look. Now I'm very curious. If you figure it out, definitely yeah. let me know. So as we'll get into, Blood Diner is a, it is a strange film. It is a unique film. But one that over the years has definitely gone on to earn cult status. When it first came out, she talked about how everyone was so shocked every time they met her. She didn't do a ton of press around it because it was a small indie film. And so, you know, she would walk in and they were like, holy shit, it's a young woman of color. What, what I what, I don't, this does not compute. It was, she said it was like impossible to explain. Like, no, 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 I'm the director. I'm a woman. Yes, and I am also the director of Oh this. my God, that must have been so frustrating. Yeah. So in an interview with Pop Horror, she talked about that experience. And she said, so many people, even today, think women can't do horror or comedy. They dismiss the talent of women. I outdid the boys, and I pissed off some insecure guys. My films deliver. The recognition for Blood Diner was a long time coming, but I guess better late than never. <laughs> Way to go. I love that right? energy. I know. Icon. So since then, she's also made a TV series. It was a short-lived TV series called Karaoke Nights. And her final film, The Underachievers, which was just like a straight-up comedy. Okay. So since then, she has stopped directing, unfortunately. Uh, Hopefully, maybe someday she'll make a return. Fingers crossed. But she went on to become the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Asian American Media Development. And in 2022, she returned to horror, but in a different format. She introduced her first horror comic, Spend the Night, which is about an urban legend called One-Eyed Ginny. How it came about is actually kind of wild. So she, again, in this same interview with Pop Horror, she told the story. This is this is actually this is a weird only in Hollywood kind of origin story. Um, (laughs) So she says, one day my daughter and I nosedived into a parking space in front of Starbucks to go get coffee. I almost hit a black motorcycle at the front of the space and had to go forward and back like five times to get into the space, each time almost hitting the bike and laughing because it had a commando written on it. (laughs) Who rides a commando? (laughs) Ha 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 ha. 
Uh, I went in and they told me it was Keanu Reeves's bike. Oh my god! <laughs> and he was watching us almost cream his bike. Oh my god. He was very cool, and he got on his bike and he nodded to my daughter before he put on his black helmet and then coolly rode off. Later that <laughs> night, Keanu came to me in my dreams and said, "Make a comic book." It was a sign, and so I did. What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about like Keanu Reeves helped her like get this comic book going or suggested she do a comic book (laughs) if anyone could enter the dreams of someone like through the astral plane and be amused to inspire them it's freaking keanu (laughs) that's crazy i mean keanu does have a comic book too i think so right i think he does see see we all are laughing at this weird story but maybe it's true wild the dream visits i don't know but (laughs) i mean one can only hope (laughs) i'm available for dream visits keanu wherever you are (laughs) i'll take down all the 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 dream catchers (laughs) hey if keanu's visiting you in your dreams good for you i I applaud you yeah right (laughs) and i would applaud myself um so it seems like for the most part, comic books are keeping her busy these days. I'm not totally sure what she has planned next, aside from that. But at one point, she did talk about something I think we would be very excited to see happen. And that is developing a series like Masters of Horror, but Ooh. with women directors. Yeah, duh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Of at the time, she abandoned it because there, she said there weren't enough women making horror. She said oh, like, women are only 4% percent yeah. of directors. Yeah. But like this was years ago. And, like, now things have really shifted. Um, so it feels like if you're out there, Jackie, Jackie, this is me talking to you. This would be a good time to revisit. <laughs> yeah, that. now's the time. Yeah. Now's the perfect time. Because, I mean, look how big, like, 2023, 2022 was for women directors. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I, I mean, we got a whole got a couple seasons worth of good stuff there, right? Like, uh, if you need some suggestions, listen to the back catalog. <laughs> exactly. We've got suggestions. <laughs> I mean, like, oh god, Isa Lopez is killing it on uh, Night Country this year. Are you watching True Detective Night Country? Not yet. Oh, Casey, you've got to. It's, it's on the so list. Good. Oh, so good. Casey, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. It's really, really. To good. be fair, I'm just now getting through Succession, so I'm oh, well behind gotcha. on my drama shows. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, haven't even, I haven't even started Succession. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, uh-uh. no, I'm terrible. You know, I only just watch trash. <laughs> I applaud people that watch like award-winning good things. Like, I watched horror movies that are good. <laughs> And everything yeah. else is just trash. <laughs> yeah, I always default to sitcoms because, you know, I can draw and not have to pay full attention. Yes. To. Yes. I mean, that's how it is, but it's reality TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when I'm like crocheting or something, I'll be like, put on some trash. And my partner exactly. knows that means put on like the Real Housewives because I don't have to watch. I can just, I can hear them fighting <laughs> just fine. Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> So, Ariel, you were very sweet and split up the research duty with me this this episode. Yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the making of this film? Okay. So just to start off, I know almost nothing about the making of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did do quite a bit of digging, but it is really hard to find any information. Apparently, there's like some kind of like documentary or like interview that's on the DVD or Blu-ray, but I don't have that and you can't buy it. So... Uh, that's lost for now, but I was able to find a little bit of stuff. 
Okay. (laughs) All right. So like Rachel was saying, in the 80s, this producer named Jimmy Maslin, he purchased the rights to The Godfather of Gore, Herschel Gordon Lewis's movie Blood Feast that came out in 1963. So if you've not seen that one, it's about a food caterer that liked to cook up female victims and offer sacrifices to the goddess Ishtar. Oh, yeah. Ishtar, Sheetar. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. I see what's exactly. happening here. No one pulls the wool over Chateau's uh-huh. eyes. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. So once he got his hands on the rights to the movie, he hired this screenwriter called Michael Sonye to come up with a script for Blood Feast 2, a sequel to the first one. He was hoping to get Lewis to come back to direct it, and he wanted, for some reason, this wrestler named George the Animal Steel and an actor named Michael Berryman from The Hills Have Eyes to play the oh, two yeah. brothers that were at the heart of this sequel. But <laughs> none of these plans worked out other than getting the script written. Uh, Lewis had retired by this point, and he said that he would only direct again if he was offered, like, a bunch of money. And <laughs> and the two actors were also too expensive for this guy's small, small budget. So that okay. plan went out the window. So at this point, the distributor, which was Vestron Pictures, they didn't think that Blood Feast had enough like name recognition or cachet or something to support a sequel, especially because it had come out like multiple decades earlier at this point. And so the title was then changed to Blood Diner. And oh, fun fact, Lewis actually did eventually go on to direct a sequel of Blood Feast. It's called Blood Feast 2, All You Can Eat, and the U is spelled with just the letter U, and it came out in 2002. (laughs) Shame. Wow. Shame. (laughs) Shame. (laughs) So at this point- Wow, 2002. Right? It's so much later. It's crazy. So Jackie Kong was then hired to direct, and it was part of a three-picture deal she had with Vestron Pictures at the time. And Carl Crew and Rick Burks were hired to play the two brothers, even though neither of them had ever acted in anything before. Uh, sadly, Burke died in a car crash about two years later when he was 28, so he doesn't have any more credits to his name, really. Aww. Yeah. Um, according to Bloody Disgusting, Jackie Kong saw the the humor that was in the original script and decided that she wanted to push it as far as she could. So (laughs) she did. (laughs) So all of the kind of like madcap humor and the changing accents and the character with the dummy for a best friend, which I'm sure we'll talk about. um, (laughs) These were all all intentionally added by Kong. Like she wanted these to be in her movie. So crazy. That's all I know. That's actually awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is actually really cool. I love how totally bizarre this movie is. Yeah. It Yes. Yeah, yeah, like it is I know it's not for everyone, but you cannot deny how bonkers and how hard she goes for it. <laughs> yeah. You must well, If you don't like it, you must respect it. <laughs> so I had a I had a moment as this is unfolding and I'm watching it and this is before I looked it up on IMDb to start checking, you know, actors and stuff like that and my first thought is probably like a good 30 minutes in it's like this is like slapstick yeah comedy and then i looked it up and it's actually categorized as that on i oh really what's you know what's that made that <laughs> click i'm like 
this is kind of great yeah. <laughs> overall because yeah. it's so out there and it's so bizarre, as you said. And like, she, I think she actually, it doesn't necessarily fit. I think she does a good job with the slapstick mm-hmm. humor, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, it's because she commits. It's so committed. Yeah. Like, there is no, like, nobody's pulling punches. They She swings for the fences with ventriloquist dummies and vitamin C. And, uh, and she doesn't waste time setting it up. No, 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 She no. goes right into yeah, it. Yeah, she just <laughs> <drops> you in. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right. But that's what gives us this movie that I, I, we maybe, are we not at the discussion yet? No, oh, no, I was going to say, let's okay. actually get into our non-spoilery thoughts. And I'd love to start with you, Casey. What did you think of Blood Diner? <laughs> I ended up enjoying this a lot. And because of that slapstick humor that we're talking about and the way she drops this in there, I love anything that's, that bucks the norm you know, like a formula for horror movies. Don't get me wrong. I love formulaic horror movies too. I mean, formulas are good for a reason, but I really enjoy it when they go outside of those formulas. This one definitely sits outside the formula. It's not going to be an award winner. It's not going to be the best movie you ever saw. But if you like strange things that, you know, it's not like a million other 80s horror movies you've seen, this has, scratches a really good itch. And I think... The casting, it, this is a really good ver, uh, demonstration of a B-movie, too, which is one of my favorite genres. So you get that B-movie, and then you get the slapstick heightened on top of that, of the already B-movie campiness, and it just makes for a really nice mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This movie is, like you said, it's bonkers, it's weird, but it's so much fun. And I know, Rachel, you don't always like a so bad it's good kind of a movie. <laughs> or a B movie. I, however, really do. And I think this one is like so perfect because it is just chock full of like weird shit happening all the time. (laughs) Like there's always something bizarro happening in this movie, which I really, really appreciate. Um, You know, before we reviewed this like a year ago or something on the Rick or Treat podcast. I hadn't seen it since that original party you threw where we had seen it and literally remembered almost <laughs> nothing about it except for Carl Crew being such a weirdo. But um, now that I've seen it a couple of times, like it was still a lot of fun this time revisiting it now like a year later. I still had a great time. And I think that because it has like a campiness to it and like this absurdist humor and it's also kind of like raunchy and there's tons of blood and guts and like you know those kind of silly 80s special effects i just found myself like smiling through most of it and just having a really good time so i don't know i i definitely think this movie is not going to be for everyone like it is bizarre and it definitely like falls into some not so great 80s tropes that i'm sure we can talk about when we get to spoilers but like (laughs) it's it's a lot of fun and i'm at its point too where i feel like if there is a talking brain in a jar i'm on board like that's a movie for me i've discovered tammy and the t-rex yeah exactly (laughs) whisperer in darkness that's all i got I, I am team brains and yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've been on like a little bit of a journey with this movie and my feelings about this movie. Like when we first watched it, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, oh, oh, no. I, I Also, I had a bunch of like 18 year olds in my house that I was showing like cheerleaders dancing naked and getting blown away, which is a little <laughs> awkward. It was a little awkward. Um, But as I've revisited it over the years, my affection for it continues to grow. Like I said, 
you don't have to like it, but you must respect it. And I feel like I've reached, I've actually gotten to the other side where I kind of love this movie, yeah. which is for me yeah. kind of wild. Cause you're right. <laughs> I, I tend to have less patience with B movies. Um, but I, it's interesting that you say that it has problematic um, elements to it. I mean, it's the eighties, right. But I almost feel like it was ahead of its time in that it's like a spoof of yes. the tropes of the eighties, yeah. like the boobs and blood, the, like, like there's this weird gender flip that happens, whether it be with like the sort of dumb blonde uh, George Tutman or when we get into Sheetar's anatomy, like those kinds of things <laughs> feel <laughs> like inside this very strange B movie. There's some really interesting gender politics in this and like social commentary about the movies of the time during the time that I that I think is really interesting. Yeah, this is the perfect movie, as I understand how I've set this up. But like if you have some consenting adults in the house who have an appreciation for odd films, who feel like they've seen it all or have like kind of an absurdist sense of humor, you should absolutely put this on because it is perfect for that. Or if you're just like a dead inside horror fan that's seen everything like us. Like, it's exciting to see something new that breaks the formula, like you said, Casey. And this absolutely, absolutely fits that bill. So I, I yeah. have an affection for this movie that it, it, I didn't start there, but I'm in the cult now. I'm in the cult of this. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think for those of you at home, if you're wondering if you should watch it, I, I would recommend. Would you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. No, you're going into an 80s movie. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> Very 80s. And it's, and it's weird for an 80s movie. Just go in with the right mindset and you'll be good. <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen it multiple times and every time I watch it, I'm like, Jesus, this is batshit crazy. I had forgotten. <laughs> like when Anwar shows up with the with the meat cleaver in the opening act, I had, I had somehow forgotten about all of that. And it's just so strange from from the opening crawl. From the opening yeah. crawl where it's like warning you about the content. I, I know. That, <laughs> I is, that was amazing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I also feel like it's a good sort of litmus test. Like if you're in on the crawl, you're going to be fine. If you're out on the crawl, you're going to have a bad time. It's going to get weirder. Although, I re- that crawl really stood out to me and I was like, oh, that's really cool. But now here in the history of this movie and what it was originally intended to be from Ariel, it makes total sense that it is 100% a Herschel Gordon Lewis trick mm-hmm. from back in the 50s. Yep. It's like passing out barf bags to at the movie before they go in like they used to do in the 50s just as a hype uh-huh. beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So you guys all know what to do. You've got your recommendations. We are going to get into spoilers now. This is officially the spoiler zone. Grab your phone, hit pause, (laughs) scour the internet. I don't go to, I'd say go to a video store, but those are gone. So I don't know. Roku channel. Go to the Roku channel or head to Amazon and see if you can get a physical copy of this. Because to be honest, you kind of got to watch it more than once. So maybe you do want a physical copy of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Give it a give it a watch and come back. Although to be here's the thing, I will be honest. Normally, I would counsel against spoilers. I don't think we could spoil how insane this movie no. is. It's not about no. the plot, which is crazy because there's so very much of it. 
It's really yeah. about the experience of seeing <laughs> it. So I mean, we're going to sound like we're talking about a different movie multiple times over the next 20 oh, minutes. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like That's schlocky correct. chaos. There's something crazy yeah. happening every second. <laughs> yes. So we are now officially in the spoiler zone, starting with Ariel. Do you have the synopsis of this movie? I do. So as you alluded to, there's a lot of plot. I'm not going to hit every single plot point in this movie because that would be impossible. So I'm just going to give you like an overview of what happens. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, like you were saying, we open on two little kids, George and Michael Tutman, whose uncle Anwar is a serial killer. Who basically indoctrinates them into this weird cult of shitar and gives them like ancient amulets before he's slaughtered by the cops. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting opening. Yeah. <laughs> so then we very quickly fast forward and the kids are now adults who are digging up old Uncle Anwar's grave. Uh, they are removing his brain somehow with the eyeballs still attached <laughs> they do a it's little science Ariel. Yeah, it does. Sorry. <laughs> they do a little ritual from a book their uncle gave them to resurrect him into a talking brain that they then stick in a jar and he gives them instructions throughout the entire movie so the the ancient spell book that is <laughs> commercially hardbound so Uncle Anwar tells them that in order to resurrect Sheetar, they need to build her a body out of pieces of immoral girls. And uh, he tells them that they're also going to need to have a ceremony to raise her from the dead and that they'll need a virgin sacrifice and they will need to cook her a blood feast. So... <laughs> <laughs> So Michael and George, they buy a vegetarian diner where they serve up human meat to unsuspecting customers looking for vegetarian burgers <laughs> yeah. as they look for sort of all of the ingredients that they need to bring Sheetar back to life. Uh, for instance, they kill all of the women at a naked aerobics class and then chop up their bodies for parts and sew them together. While like... wearing Ronald Reagan masks. Yes. Again, <laughs> this movie is very strange. <laughs> and then they sew together a, a whole new lady that they yeah. sort of stick against a wall for most of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the same no. time, there's also a pair of cops who are trying to track down these, like, killers, <laughs> right? Um, there uh, is a, a female detective who has many accents and <laughs> <laughs> a very creepy male detective who she's forced to work with, even though, like, he licks his lips like a psychopath and oh, uh, made my skin crawl a little bit. Yeah. Yes, yes. I also thought his voice was dubbed for like the first 10 minutes. There's of a movie. lot of dubbing in this movie. <laughs> and I, I cannot know the story of the dubbing. I yeah. cannot yeah. figure out because I figured if I looked it up, she would have talked about it at some point. I could not find an interview or anything where she talked about why there was so much dubbing in this movie. It's very strange. I don't know if there was like an <laughs> audio problem when they were recording it and they had to do it or if it was like a stylistic choice to like make it funnier, you know? I don't huh. know. Maybe it's in her writer. She's like, I'll do the interview, but you must never ask about the dubbing. <laughs> All right. So Uncle Anwar keeps giving the boys instructions, telling them, for instance, that they need the stomachs of two tramps and the lungs and livers of a slut. 
<laughs> how do you determine how do you separate the sluts from the tramps That's yeah exactly what I right? what's the difference what's the difference there? the subtle art i think you have to check their membership card right I, and it's on their back right <laughs> so, <laughs> gotta check for that stamp oh yeah <laughs> All right, so they uh, track down these women and dispatch them uh, in different ways, including like cutting one in half, like lengthwise, and deep frying another one's head that somehow does not kill her. Uh, this is my favorite part. I know, me too. <laughs> Maybe crave hush pup. Hush pup. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, and during this time, Michael also befriends an innocent young woman who he brings to the blood feast to be their virgin sacrifice. Wah, wah. Oh, She's also forced yes. to go to a very, very strange wrestling match with them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been on worse dates, but not much. Not much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they end up hosting this blood feast at a club full of people, and they give them drugs that somehow turn them all into zombies for some for some reason. I think it's, I think it's the MSG, right? Right. Like, makes everybody super yeah. hungry. Because <laughs> remember, there's the shopping list that's like cats, stomachs, and then, like, and then a cat, any breed. Like, yeah. You remember this? Like the weird shopping list? Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> so they start the ceremony. Sheetar is resurrected, but with the added feature of a vagina dentata on her stomach. Yes. Uh, the virgin girl is saved by the cop. The future liberals want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the girl is saved by the cops who shoot one of the brothers and shoves the other one's head into Sheetar's stomach mouth. And they both perish. And uh, then we get a happy ending of sorts where Sheetar rides off into the sunset with a creepy guy she's probably going to murder. Yeah. Do you think the end of this movie also inspired the end of teeth they have <laughs> the same movie? end do they i don't she gets, remember the ending she she's she's like on the side of the road like she's what is this called when you put out your thumb? hitchhiking thank you she's hitchhiking and some old dude gets in he does like a weird tongue thing at her and she smiles at him a hundred percent yes oh right oh yeah (laughs) look at this i forgot about that oh i'll never forget about that (laughs) like it lives rent free in my head (laughs) oh amazing thank you for that amazing and i would just say yeah to anybody who hasn't seen it yet like that only scratches the surface like so many more things happen in this yeah you didn't even get into the position of saturn no i didn't (laughs) (laughs) all right casey all spoilers are off you can talk about whatever you want what are your thoughts about this movie well so first let me bring up since it's that's that's where he ended up. Sheetar. Yes. The reveal of Sheetar was freaking amazing. Yes. When it pans out. <laughs> and you notice that it's like a dress form on a stand that lays standing <laughs> behind with this giant <laughs> vagina dentata on the front. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Because at first, 
she has the big reveal and she's standing with her cape around her and then she has the big dramatic and yes! puts her arms out and she doesn't move and I'm like, why isn't she doing anything else? And then they pay it back. I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> oh my God. And it has my favorite 80s trope. My favorite 80s trope is the blue lightning. Anytime you yes. have blue lightning, I am in. It could be Terminator. It could be Sheetar, whatever the case may be. It could be, you know, Empire Strikes Back. I love a blue lightning 80s situation. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I forgot about the drugs at the club and the zombies because all of a sudden I looked down and looked up and there are zombies all over the club. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened? And that's when she's, and that's about the time she started shooting blue lightning bolts. And I'm like, well, it must have been a lightning bolt. <laughs> Yeah, no, like there's a moment where one guy turns green and he's like, I don't feel good. And then the blood feast begins. Yeah. And then they're just all zombies, like all of a sudden. Because they, I mean, because yeah. the drugs well, they give them are the ones that are supposed to make the customers hungry at their restaurant. Yeah. So I guess yeah. an extreme yeah. hunger is being a zombie. Well, uh, that whole finale, though, they set it up as you start to think back on the, how that finale was set up. I started wondering, like, why there was, like, a rock band going on in the middle of their ceremony and stuff. But then I remembered, you know, he showed up at this club in the day and gave him, like, a gallon, like, like two bushels of drugs <laughs> to hand out and said, we want to use your space. They never thought to say, you know, we need, we want it to be, like, a private thing. We want to use your space. They just let the regular nightclub <laughs> Continue. Yeah. <laughs> while it was going on, and they just went to another stage in the back and did a whole their whole ceremony. Nobody noticed. <laughs> yeah, I know someone in, in, like in the booth at one point. It's like, well, you see, they're like killing some girl up there, but the party continues. Un, un yeah. everybody is like unfazed by murder in this. Like when they go to the first club, you know, the the one that for some reason has like a doo wop group playing mysteriously. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh my god. When they first arrive there, that like that car does the bouncy thing. I don't know what that's called when cars do that. Oh, yeah. And it like, I know yeah, and they about. throw that the hydraulic hops thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they throw the guy on the ground and like the car just like hops on his head and squishes him. And everybody's just like laughing or is like, eh, whatever. Like they either don't yeah. care or they think it's funny. I mean, vehicular manslaughter is a repeated punchline in there. <laughs> There's the whole protracted running over the guy back and forth. But with a van, do you remember this? When he's on his way out to the cave yes. and he runs over the guy and then just backs over him a bunch of times. He's like, yeah, because like every time yeah. the guy isn't dead. So he just like does it again and he's like dancing in his seat. It's so funny. That was literally like the only scene I remember from this whole movie. The first I time mean, we watched the it. stereotypical fat biker guy the whole time just doing the cartoony oh yeah. every time he gets hit by me <laughs> oh my head's a little sore <laughs> yeah I, that's totally one example of one of those jokes in this movie where they do it long enough that you go on the journey of like oh, that's funny oh no it's not that funny no it's funny again I'm back yeah. I'm back to laughing at this. yeah and I think it has to do largely just with Carl Cruz's uh, performance in that moment. He is so absolutely batshit crazy and kind of, I don't know, joyful in this way that you cannot, you kind of, as awful as it is, you're kind of just laughing along with him because he's, I don't know, charismatic as a weirdo. He is charismatic. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And his like physical I'm, comedy is you're, so good. Yeah. There's a little, there's like a short moment of time when they first start talking about him wrestling the Nazi guy when he's working at the diner. And you're like, yeah, you can do it, buddy. <laughs> and then when we see them wrestle, oh boy. Yeah. 
<laughs> it is rough stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I think we should talk about like some of the ways that this sort of subverts the 80s tropes. Um, oh, I, yeah. You, I think the way that it uses nudity is really interesting because there's a ton of it. Yeah. To the point where you almost... She kind of owns it. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of almost desensitize to it. And it's never... Even though there's boobs and blood, like, it's played so absurdly that it doesn't go into a very strange sort of exploitation place, even though the sheer quantity, the like, the volume, (laughs) the cubits of mammary are so high in this. And yet it never really felt, like, sleazy Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's ogling them. Yeah, way. it's not male gazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's something. It's just boobs. <laughs> when we get like the full frontal of that woman, she's like kicking the crap out of Carl Crew, and it's awesome with her like naked karate moves. You know? Yeah. yeah. The cave defeats good. her. He doesn't even. Yeah. Defeat her. No. The cave yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like the you mentioned the. Uh, there's the whole setup with the Virgin character and her friends when we first introduced them. They're talking about going to do some photo shoot, trying to talk her into it. It's like, it's no big deal. You just have to take your shirt off for a bit. I kind of thought that's where it would left off. But no, okay. we go right to the topless aerobic shoot. Oh, yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is a, such a great combination of both like very over the top humor, very slapsticky humor, and also a lot of yeah. subtle dialogue jokes. Like, yes. like even when he meets her and he like kind of makes the crack about like I knew them a while back and they all looked like flash dance and they look stupid. You know, there's there's actually a lot of written dialogue jokes in this on top of the absurdist humor. It's like layered yeah. with various kinds of humor, whether it be physical or absurdist, like like we said, the ventriloquist dummy things like. Like that but then also like Ugh. some pretty smart funny like um traditional jokes yeah yeah oh yeah there it, it, i love the fact though that she like i mentioned earlier she does a slapstick comedy and she doesn't set it up which i think really adds to the bizarreness of this movie yeah. and really kind of gives it that vibe that ventriloquist dummy scene is the perfect example of this because we show up at this guy who runs the Mr. Veggie Diner, the other vegetarian diner, because apparently vegetarian restaurants are a big deal out there in the 87. (laughs) But this dummy, the way that this dummy just starts talking, and he's got food sitting in front of him, and you don't really know where the hell the voice is coming from. There was at one point when I was watching this last night, I almost texted you, Rachel, saying, who the hell's making the dummy talk? <laughs> what if I just texted you back and was like, the dummy doesn't oh, talk. What dummy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love the just like kind of non-reactions that happen around these strange yeah, things. Yeah, the it's cops don't the pay any mind at all. Like, yeah. Yeah, and I I actually really I know her accents all over the place, but I actually really love uh Sheba Jackson, the, yeah. the police officer. Yeah, yeah she her, her reactions to everything are so great. The way that she sort of handles everybody, it's all she's a little bit in a different movie, but she's kind of your way into the madness. She is, and like when she that's why at first I was like when the dummy started talking, I'm like, what the hell? But she turns around, she's like, Hey, what are you having for dinner or whatever? and starts talking to him back. I'm like, Well, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. <laughs> this is just what life is like now. I mean, yeah. I I wonder if people watched this in the eighties and were like, Wow, California's weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also loved uh Sheba's uh sachet down the hallway. Yeah. After she first uh, meets the uh, her partner, that was really yeah. great. 
she's great. She, she it's interesting because she is almost a little bit of a throwback character to like seventies exploitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, but and but in the she brings with her all sort of the best elements of that of a like a Foxy Brown of you know yeah a, like a she is very Pam Greer esque and in it's interesting that she in this movie that they pulled an element from literal 70s exploitation, but it's sort of like the best, most feminist, most female gazing Right, because she's like the, the only competent person essentially in the entire movie, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, I would argue our archaeologist friend <laughs> certainly knew a lot about Lumerians for someone I mean, who's doing archaeology oh, yeah. in Southern California. Although she also <laughs> kind of went a little bit crazy the way that she described it. Yeah, while she's so digging funny. up somebody's park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just think this movie is really fun and joyful and silly and strange. And I... I really kind of enjoyed the brothers, too. Yeah, I think me too. Both of them together, they got their own things going on. And there is an element of... Well, there's definitely a Laurel and Hardy mm-hmm. element to them. Yes. And even like a three stoogie element to, yes. to yes, them, but absolutely. it's very dialed down. You see the elements of that humor popping in there, but they're not full on, you know, repeatedly smacking each other in the heads of like a three stooges, but you can tell they want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're both like weirdly charming and they seem like somewhat sweet together too, which is like, yeah. it's interesting in such a bizarro world of a movie, you know? Yeah. yeah. And there are times that they're like, you're like, well, they are like insane cannibal Lumerians, but they're not so bad. Yeah, well, even just him like cheering on his brother, and I know, like at the wrestling yeah. match, I know his brother just like chomped a bite out of the the Nazi guy's like leg. But it also is again nobody notices. No, no. But it's also <laughs> sort of sweet that he's like, "Yeah, go George," you know. Yeah, yeah. and watching them work together in the restaurant, yeah. they're you know they're support each other and whatnot. They're not like screaming <laughs> at each other like a Gordon Ramsay show, right? <laughs> and I would actually add Uncle Anwar into the mix of that. Like, there's yeah. definitely a trope of like you keep expecting him to go into like you know like you're idiots, and he does a a little bit, but there. As with our introduction to him, he does feel more like a mentor character. Mm-hmm. It's very strange yeah. to see, you know, like when you think of the Fratellis or something from Goonies, like it's much more uh, antagonistic between the family right. members. But there is some element yeah. of family in this, yeah, which I hadn't really thought about. But now that it's you're weirdly saying it, sweet, <laughs> yeah. Well, they do a good job of keeping a lot of your one-liners and stuff. Uh, contained to Anwar in the jar too because you know it's a brain in the jar what else you gonna do give him snappy dialogue so you get some good one-liners and like reactions from him and there when you know just when he's like mumbling about the brothers under his breath a couple of puns (laughs) stuff like that it's just it's it's a nice little flavoring to it yeah definitely and I just I'm so charmed by this sort of like low budget physical special effects yeah. all of that yeah. that always works for me it does not need to look perfect it does not need like in fact the seams are what make it charming the the absurdity of a brain that can talk and bubbles and you know like when it's just a brain with eyes all of that is just deeply char- like it touches a part of like my 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 pleasure center it doesn't have to make sense i'm just delighted by it yeah yeah well, and they did a good job, too, of balancing, especially for the 80s, of making it a fairly gory movie about cannibals without, like, yeah. being over-the-top gory. 
that's actually a really good point. Yeah, it's it's way sillier than that. Like the style yeah. of gore is silly. And so it never gets into that like sort of feel bad type of cannibalism horror. <laughs> yeah, the perfect example is like when they're talking about the special, the fish fingers or whatever they were. And he tells his brother, he's like, oh, we're out. And he's like, oh, give me a minute because the IRS guy just showed up. <laughs> and then you saw him see what the plate of fingers dump him in yeah. the fryer and they come out as breadsticks. It's like, here you go. Right. <laughs> so funny i I think part of it is the setup of the film like it's interesting we have obviously the police officers who are like the good people versus the the tutmans who are the bad people but our main characters and so far so our connection is with with the tutmans so you can't totally make them unlikable but it makes for an interesting dynamic as you're watching it that you do yeah. kind of root for them mm-hmm. even though they're going to summon Sheetar right. and they are they're like killing, killing a lot of nubile tweet teams <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just an interesting setup and dynamic to make them sort of our our they they become almost anti-hero-esque but yeah. I don't know. It's a strange <laughs> Make little Make sure there's sluts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've had a love fest. Do you have any criticisms for this film? I mean, this is a... The, the overall plot of this movie is fairly basic, and there's not a lot of depth to it. But they're giving you a whole lot on screen to, to make sure that you're not missing out on anything that's coming through there. That's... And it's like we've said, there's a ton of plot thrown into this. <laughs> there's, it does feel like a long journey by the time you get there. But overall, I think for me, there's not a whole lot of other negatives against it. Now, people that aren't like us that like finding weird, obscure stuff that you haven't seen for a long time, especially in the day you've seen everything. I can see people are going to have problems connecting with this just because of the absurdity of it mm-hmm. with some of that humor. I mean, that, that, uh, ventriloquist dummy jokes, not going to work for everyone. Right. Some people are going to say, what the hell's going on? I'm done and move on. Whereas it's the weirdos like us that are like, Hey, what's going on here? Yeah. You have to be willing to go for the ride. If you're not willing to go for yeah. the ride. I mean, it's interesting that you say like that the plot is both shallow and, and omnipresent Mm -hmm. like there i don't know that there's more than a handful of lines that are not exposition in this film everything is constantly feeding you the information about what is happening like there you know we have to have it on the saturn and we need this number of sluts and we need this number of tramps and that like and it's all like that's true all of it is like the background five thousand years ago or five million years ago (laughs) like the the lumerians like all of that is it's the lumerian feast but it, nobody's had it sorry, for five million years right and so i think if you're someone who for whom that kind of uh like really getting lost in the realism or the like nuance of of plot and dialogue and what's yeah. behind the dialogue you're not gonna find that here like yeah it is more of just an overall experience <laughs> yeah i mean if you're, yeah. if you're looking for a movie that's like full of like symbolism and themes that you can mine afterwards and really like talk and discuss about it, this is not yeah. the movie for you like there's there's not that yeah. much of that here but it's just so much fun and even things like you know a lot of like movies from the 80s have this sort of misogynistic trope where like the men are complicated characters and the women are like hollow characters and just there to be you know bouncing boobs essentially 
here nobody really has any character development or growth in the film so it's kind of an even yeah. playing field and in that way like and in that way i think you can just like lean into the silliness and just have fun yeah. with it you know yeah you're not there's no real emotional investment no, in any no. of the characters in this so like you said that opens you up to just enjoy the ride yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and i do think that it is kind of interesting knowing that jackie kong is the one that directed it because i do think you're right rachel that although like yeah a, a big part of the plot of this movie is like kind of dividing women into like virgins and sluts like categorizing them that way and and using them just for body parts. I think there's so much more to it than that because of the way it's filmed, because of the way the female characters are treated, and also mainly because of Sheetar and like the Vagina Dentata. I think it changes things for me. Yeah, well, yeah. and also I think the way that she, they're not really deep characters, they're no. all archetypes, but yes. the way that she plays with archetypes is interesting. Like having Carl Kluge, crew why do i keep saying clue carl crew's character george be sort of the dumb blonde mm -hmm. or we have the the cop who is like you said the um not she sheba the other one i can't remember his name um but the licking one he's played <laughs> as a clown as a buffoon yeah. like all of these yeah. archetypes exist but the joke that typically lands on women of being kind of dumb or ditzy or whatever in the 80s all of the male characters are the ones that have those kind of archetypes. Yeah. And that is really interesting. And it's kind yeah. of a subtle way to play with the gender politics that don't, that, you know, that some people would not find preachy. <laughs> right. Well, even the, even the tramps and the sluts that, you know, that they're separating out here, the portrayal of them is not over the top. It's pretty right. subtle as far as tramps and sluts go. So it's not like super sleazy or anything like that. They're just a little more friendly than others. <laughs> so it's not so you know they're not making that a cartoon aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's right, true. Necessarily. I just remembered it that feel that mean. Yeah, no it doesn't that's true. It doesn't feel mean both in the way that yeah. the dialogue happens, the plot and also the way it's filmed too, like how yeah. the camera is. I don't think yeah. it feels like mean like, or gratuitous. The like the sheer like you mentioned the sheer boob count and stuff in this movie to me that kind of felt like it felt to me it comes across like the studio told her it's like you can make this movie but this is an eighties and a horror movie you got to have so much yes. nudity into it yeah. and yes. she's like well okay I'm gonna do it but I'm gonna do it my way and yep. I'm gonna throw it in your face until you get tired of it I think you're probably yep. right Which Casey cool. because like what we've learned from doing research of these old movies is that that's almost always what happens that the, the women directors oh, yeah. are told you totally. got to put this much violence and this much nudity and then they just try to like maneuver that into a better place <laughs> yeah. yeah and I and I think she just took a taste mm -hmm. a take that did make it sleazy and made it desensitized because she put so much of it into your yeah yeah face. like her response was to be like oh you need eight boobs here's 80 you know <laughs> what i mean like she leaned even further in whereas like a lot of times when we talk about like slumber party massacre or velvet vampire last time you know we talked about how they were sort of work she was these directors were working around those constraints and trying to like contextualize the nudity and the violence in a way that like was not in opposition to sort of the messages and ideas that they're trying to convey and i think jackie kong if this is true was just like oh bring it on more right. more yeah. i'm going to take it to such an absurd place that it becomes commentary again i would not be surprised yeah. if that's exactly what happened yeah it's yeah. so funny you mentioned vestron and like that is one of those it's like a vhs memory that is I just know. ingrained yeah like, i yeah. can totally see the the logo all of mm -hmm. those like old 
like 80s and 90s like uh direct to video i have such a soft spot for like full moon features what was it canon films yes 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 definitely um what was the one that was like a a sphinx do you remember this one it was like was i do remember that but i don't remember which uh company that was yeah I all of those old sim like all those old logos have such a special place in my heart. So when I heard Vestron, yeah. I was like, I "Remember those? <laughs> such an yeah, era." I, yeah, as soon as you you two mentioned uh, Vestron at the top of the show, that's the first thing that popped in my head was that little spinning V with the lines. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, kids today—they'll never know. I they'll know. never know I about know. those. Like I, the one of my favorite things in the world was like when you would rent a movie and then you watch the previews at the beginning. You never yeah. skip the previews. You always got to watch them. And to go oh, back yeah. and watch those previews today—they're hilarious. My New Year's resolution—you'll appreciate this. Um, uh, Casey is I am very bad about having seen old classic horror films. It is a huge goal. Yes, but I have been correcting it. So um I watched uh Nosferatu for the first time last week. Oh nice. Yes. And so one of the listeners was like, you have to watch Shadow of a Vampire. So I was like, okay. So I threw on the trailer. I highly recommend you guys all watch that trailer. It is wild. Had you you'd never such... seen that movie before? Shadow of the Vampire? Oh, it's so good. No. Oh, uh, but good. the trailer it's kind of like the thing we talked about when we um what was the antonia bird movie oh can i think of it where they're like cannibals on the old west it's one of my favorite movies ravenous thank you and we watched it and it seemed like a weird slapstick <laughs> yeah. comedy yes it's kind of like that you gotta go back and watch that trailer okay <laughs> that there was a like the marketing like scheme at that era of like when you go back and watch those trailers is hilarious <laughs> hilarious <laughs> it, I, it's weirder than you <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> all right so i think we're not doing a very good job of offering criticism because i think we just kind of loved this on its merits and it's one of those movies that yeah. It's like imperfect in a really great way. So yeah, you could totally yeah. find yeah. criticisms with it and maybe some like pacing stuff or not all the plot points line up. I don't really care right. though. And to be fair, if you're if you're not familiar with the Bloody Good Horror podcast, I am known the one to be the most forgiving on movies. I I always cut tend to go into movies with the hope that I'm gonna enjoy it yeah. and try not to overanalyze it, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, I try to pick out the happy parts, but I'm also a big B-movie fan, too. So I do come across a little gushy, but this really hit a lot of notes for me. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that that's the kind of fan I am, it's really kind of stood out for me. Yeah. I mean, there are some movies I think benefit from real critical analysis. And then there are movies that are just a vibe. And I think yeah. you describe the vibe. And if it, if you're cool, if you're cool, you know, if you're, you know. And I think this is one of those yeah. for sure. Yeah. And this movie, you could totally tell if you put any effort in trying to get over analytic on it, it will not hold up. You're, you'll have a bad time. Yeah. Because it's that, it's that all over the place. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, I think you could sit here and nitpick it to death. But that kind of is not the purpose or point of the film. Yeah. Nope. I mean, yeah. at one point, a guy says, I'm so horny, I could fuck a cow. That's the kind of movie we're talking <laughs> about here. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was yeah. that Keats? Was uh, <laughs> that was no, beautiful? It was it was so lyrical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, any last thoughts before we wrap up our review? No, Good? I would just say okay. if you can track it down, watch it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's not the movie I thought it was going to be, but I'm glad that I ended up getting the movie I got. We'll have to have so you back on if funny. it ever occurs to you what that movie is. Yes. Yeah. I need to know what that other movie is. I'm dying to know. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, Casey, if they want more of you in their life, and I'm certain they do, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me always at the over at the Bloody Good Horror Podcast. That's my home away from home out there. But you can also find me on threads and Instagram, cinema.fromage. That's where I post all my artwork, uh, especially on Instagram. Um, so I like to draw weird little interdimensional alien dudes. And uh, that's what it is. So, and I've discovered colors in the, in the yes. past few months and having fun. So. I've been so enjoying that. I have to tell you, Casey, that I don't follow like a lot of art accounts, but your drawings <laughs> like make me happy. They brighten up yeah. my day. Aww. So yeah, I have been you. very much enjoying them. And the color has been a nice little added bonus. So I encourage everybody to follow him. Huh. See, and honestly, like the artwork is my mental health break for the day it's kind yeah. of like my meditation period mm-hmm. it's where how i turn off the, all the noise in my head and you know you get focused in and i'm in oh, a happy place that. for an hour or so <laughs> have you awesome. always drawn or is this something kind of that you've learned you know in the last handful of years you've gotten into i taught myself during quarantine oh okay really? wow that's so cool you have such it's, a uh, point of view that's yeah. why i'm saying that like you have like i could you line up a bunch of pieces of art i'd be like that's a casey Mm-hmm. it's 100 you have you have such a yeah. strong like visual voice it's and i love it it's so cool i know i was like hitting up i was like you selling any originals yeah. <laughs> and you were like no you buy a t-shirt yeah. and i was like okay i'll buy a t-shirt well you know i've i've i follow a lot of the art community out there on social media and stuff like that and watching a lot of those folks trying to make a living off their art and getting right. sales yeah I'm not interested. <laughs> it's I too much work. Right. But if I wish them all luck. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got some ideas. Okay. They're well, whatever happens, they're... you holler at your girl because I want one. I feel like <laughs> they would look amazing. They would look amazing in this wall. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'll just say. I'll just say without giving details that there there may be a book idea. Mm. Ooh. Oh, that's exciting. Oh, that's okay. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Stay. All right, everybody. If you needed any more reason to follow Casey on social, he just gave yeah. you one. Get in there. Smash <laughs> the follow button. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you always can. You can reach us at Rachel at zombiegirls.com. You can chat with us on the Zombie Girls Facebook page or slide into the DMs at Instagram, Twitter, or Threads, or now Blue Sky at ZG Podcast. Sorry, Ariel, I added a new one for you. <laughs> you were like, Do Yay, I have to update this one now? now? I'm like, five. <laughs> well, one of the, here's the thing it's like a supreme will rise and the others will fade. Just for a little yeah. bit, we got to see if Blue Sky does any, <laughs> does any work for us. Um, so, yeah, follow us on all those places. Slide into the DMs there. Um, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review or rate us on wherever podcast platform you're enjoying this particular episode on. Uh, if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight because you've tracked down and watched Blood Diner, you can check out our video on demand and streaming calendar where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on the thousands of streaming services out there there's like a new one every month i swear to god it's driving me crazy and you can always support us by joining our patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls we get bonus episodes extended episodes and uh you get to hear me talk about nosferatu that's the next thing i'm recording so you want to hear my thoughts on that 
All right. So that is it for us, except for our plans for the next episode. Ariel, what are we doing next week? Our next one, we have another exciting episode. We have another guest that we've been very much looking forward to. Joe Ferry from Films at First Sight is going to be joining us. And he has a bit of a penchant for odd movies. Uh, undiscovered gems shall we say and so he has picked a movie that I have never even heard of let alone seen so we're going to be reviewing a movie called Wolf Devil Woman from 1982 directed by Ling Chang and apparently it is about a woman who was raised by wolves who seeks revenge on Red Devil the villain who ordered the murder of her parents oh my god So this is my fault because uh-huh. I I I forgot who I was talking to and I okay. threw the gauntlet. I was like, Joe, come on the show and pick a weirdie. And he was like, okay, <laughs> here is this. Yeah. So if it is bizarre, it is fully my fault. It looks like it's going to be. And it's apparently an action, fantasy, and horror movie. So we'll see. But okay. Rachel, it's only an hour and 25 minutes. So it's right Ooh. up your alley. We're in 25 minutes. If you want to be amazed, Ash and Joe to show, show you his unwatched DVD stack. Oh, oh is it huge? Okay. <laughs> it's huge, and you probably wouldn't recognize any of them. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. He's fascinating to watch Joe's, especially if you're like friends with him on uh, Letterboxd oh, uh-huh. and watch some of the oh. stuff he checks in. It's like, wow, man, where do you find this stuff? <laughs> you got to find him on Letterboxd awesome. just for the like sh- spectacle of yeah. weirdness that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think didn't he come on BGH one time to review the Devils with you guys? That was that was fun. Yeah, yeah, one. that was his pick for uh, it was one of our anniversaries. I yeah, think. I think it was like did you watch secret the... episode. Which version yeah. did you watch? Yeah. Did you watch the uncut version with the like bone masturbation scene? Because that is necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah, you gotta watch that. Oh one. yeah, he bone made he made sure we watched that. <laughs> did he make, he he make sure eye contact with you while you watched it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I love Joe. I'm so, so, we're so lucky. We got back to back, just like banger hosts. We got you, and now we got Joe coming on. I feel very, very lucky. You'll have a good time with Joe. And uh, Wolf Devil Woman is available on Tubi. So this time it'll be really easy to watch. Nice. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Anything else we want to plug before we wrap up? I don't think so. No, if you're sticking around for the extended episode, Rachel and I are going to continue talking about True Detective Night Country. This time we'll be talking about episodes three and four. Yes. Yes, Casey, you got to get into it and let me know what you think. Did you like the first season of True Detective? Yes. This one is much more in in keeping with that to the point where there is a ghostly figure that is Rust Cole's father. I saw, I saw something about mentioned about that, but yeah, they, I, I've been hearing that a lot. So yeah. Colleen and I would love that first season kind of gave up halfway through the second and never went back. So yeah. it's <laughs> definitely back on our list. If you, when you get started, let us know. Cause I definitely want to know what you think. Like there is yeah. like thing vibes, the terror vibes. Ooh, yeah. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And then Jodie Foster and Kelly Reese are perfection. So, so yes. good. All right. Well, on that note, thank you again for joining us. Casey, you have been a freaking delight. Yeah, this is just so like much fun. I, we knew oh. you would be. And you are welcome to come back anytime you want. I hope this is just the first of many times you come and join us because you are. Absolutely. Hey. Well, thank you for having me. I loved uh, hanging out with you too. 
And like I said, it's always fun to hang out and talk movies with you too. So I will be happy to come back anytime awesome. you want. And uh, I'll look for some more movies and pitch you some yes, ideas. Yes. Yeah. Find yeah. us some weirdies. <laughs> yes. I have not learned my lesson. Find me some weirdies. <laughs> to set expectations, I can't get as weirdy as Joe, yeah, that's but I'll fair. do my best. That's totally <laughs> that's fair. fair. He's the Michael Jordan of weird. Like it's Exactly. <laughs> Ariel, take us out. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of More Deadly. Thank you, Casey, so much for joining us. This was a blast. And we'll see you guys next time for... Wolf Devil Woman, whatever the heck that is. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah, we got a bye. I know anytime I've ever been on uh, BGH when you're not there, it feels weird that it doesn't end with that. Yeah, it feels incomplete. It's very strange. I totally know what you mean. I did that. I started that years ago on BGH just – I threw it in there because I was thinking about that uh, David Spade uh, SNL skit where he was the flight attendant. Bubba. Oh, yeah. Bubba. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's a good one. I did that on a whim at the end of one show and I, I like the next week Eric's like, you should do that bye-bye thing. It's nice <laughs> it is! Yeah. <laughs> thanks to everyone for listening and thanks to my co-host Ariel who is always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Messman-Rucker. And our theme music is More Deadly by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Newell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly, the extended episode, aka More Deadly After Dark. (laughs) Hey, girl. That was so much fun. Oh, my God. I know. I always love spending time with Casey. I know. He's such a – he's so charming and so funny. Yeah. And also just, like, really easygoing, which I appreciate. Like, if a human was a bear hug, it would be insane. Oh, my God. That's a perfect way to describe him. He's just so warm and nice. And, yeah, I just love him. I'm so excited we got to have him on the show. And I hope he comes back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I'll be a little less brain dead. I feel bad that I was, like, not at peak performance today. (laughs) I mean, do you really need to be at peak performance to talk about the ridiculous stuff that happens in Blood Diner? I kind of almost feel like you have to be more on your A game because like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> to pull anything out of that, not necessarily pull anything out of that, but I think you have to be like in a, in some ways more analytical headspace. Mm. Like it's not spoon feeding you like opportunities oh, for analysis, yeah, but you yeah. have to like, you know, really dig in there and get in there. And I was, today was not that day, girl. <laughs> today was not great. that day. I told you I had seven interviews that day. Which before. is absolutely insane. I can't imagine. Was it a little cuckoo crazy, but you yeah. know, for the love of the podcast, this is how much we love doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. And it also helped having a guest like Casey on who was just like so fun and kept the conversation going and, you know, gave us a reason to be extra excited to record. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, so extended episode. Yes. We are continuing on something. That, speaking of things we're obsessed with, <laughs> oh I don't know. God. I would say I'm obsessed with this. Oh, yeah. you say you're obsessed with this? Yes. 
100%. I'm like very sad that it's coming to an end soon. No, I'm in denial. <laughs> I know. That, like as we're recording this, they actually dropped the fifth episode early. It is <gasps> out there waiting oh, to shit. be watched. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the penultimate. <laughs> you should have told me that. I need to get a good night's sleep tonight. <laughs> Sorry about it. It's okay, girl. I still have to marathon the rest of the last uh, the last airbender tonight because I have that oh, junket tomorrow morning. Oh, no. I know. I know. I know. I know. But yeah, so all right, I'm already off the rails. Let's get Yeah, we probably should tell people what we're doing. I don't even know. Oh right. So the title yes. I know we've been like working all the way around it without actually saying it. We're gonna be talking about episodes three and four of True Detective Night Country, yes. which is written and directed by the luminary Issa Lopez. Um, yeah. and my God, continues to just blow my mind. I know. She's so talented. These episodes were so good. Yeah. Yeah. Last time we just kind of did a little wing it, but this mm-hmm. time I actually sat down and wrote an outline. So I figure right. we could just sort Smarty of like pants. go through the episode. Smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs> if my pants may be smart, but they're made of Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> So we just kind of go through the episode and kind of okay. give our thoughts on things and, yeah. and questions as they come up. We could kind of touch on them. Okay. That sounds good. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Well, this, okay. Episode three opens with my favorite thing in the world, a home birth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. You're not a big fan of birthing scenes. <laughs> no, and certainly not in one's lone living room. That's just madness. Madness. <laughs> Long time listeners know you and I have differing opinions on home birth. Yes, we do. <laughs> but I was born at home, so I'm biased, you know? <laughs> yeah. I Like, other than you, the only people I've seen in a home birth situation mm-hmm. that were not, like, fictional yeah. were, like, all the survives. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. Okay, well, my little... parents, my family did it because they're hippies, not because they're a weird Mormon cult. I agree with three of those, or two of those words. <laughs> They are weird. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Listen, you know what? Who am I to judge? Like this old crone never put that equipment to work. So who am I to judge? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so it opens this with a flashback. We get to see when Navarro meets Annie, who, of course, is the um, indigenous woman that was murdered. That is kind of like one of the central mysteries of this. Um, uh, she's going there to arrest her for some, I guess, protesting the mines. Yeah. Um, and she's in the midst of helping with a home birth. And Navarro, instead of dragging her out of there, thank God, she instead stands by and watches as the child is born and then is actually revived by Annie. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the point of this is? What are your thoughts about this scene? Oh, that's a good question. I was mostly focused on like how beautiful it was, like the communal aspect of these women Jesus helping her you. along in the time. What? We <laughs> see the world through different eyes. <laughs> you don't I think like, there was beauty in those women, like all being there was, in the tub with her, like helping I just her kept thinking it? about what was in the water. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there are so many bodily fluids in that water. What must it smell like? <laughs> <laughs> the birthing process is not like smelly <laughs> sure it is there's poop well yeah but you can deal with that part of it yeah but like, it's in water now you're they're basically oh, sitting in a toilet together <laughs> <laughs> isn't it beautiful when we're all moaning in a communal toilet 
all right. <laughs> I'm just we were clearly you. raised very differently. <laughs> yeah, you were raised right. Let's be honest. I'm a fucking mess. 